mouth and the thoughts of our hearts be acceptable in your sight through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. Please be seated. Question. Uh, in the first two verses of our gospel reading for today, I'm, I'm going to read it. And you tell me what's the subject of the sentence and what's the verb. Okay? In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate, being governor of Judea, and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, tetrarch of the region of Iturea and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. Where's the subject there? The word of God. Okay, and the verb? It came, right? The word of God came. Uh, what good news that is, nothing happens, spiritually speaking, and, and really, uh, temporally. Nothing happens until God speaks. He made the world by speaking, he raises the dead by speaking, makes the lame walk by speaking. When the elements are consecrated, the bread and the wine, somehow, in a way we don't understand, by the power of the word, is his word, not mine, the very body and blood of our Lord are present in the meal, when we baptize, we don't just speak any old words over the baptized. We speak the word of God, the name of God. God puts his name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit on the individual. That individual becomes God's child. This is the power of the word. This is what's happening in our gospel reading for today. And so we read on, verse 3, And he went into all the region around the Jordan. And um, so he's what we would call a peripatetic preacher. Um, a peripatetic philosopher in ancient Greece was one who would walk around and teach. And so John is walking around, uh, preaching, he's proclaiming, but he's keeping near the Jordan because that's where the water is. And notice he's proclaiming a baptism. He, he's preaching baptism. It's that important. It's not just symbolic. It's the real work of God. This isn't Christian baptism, but it's a preparation for Christian baptism. He's preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. We'll say more about that in a moment. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, meaning this is predicted, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. It's a, it's a plural command. You all prepare the way of the Lord. So how do we do that? How does one prepare the Lord's way? Make his paths straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be made low. I, I take it to mean that the sins of omission, all the deficiencies of the people, will be wiped away, and all the sins of commission, all of the excesses of the people, will be wiped away. 
and the crooked shall become straight, and the rough places shall become level ways. And all flesh will see the salvation of God. This is not limited to Israel. This is worldwide salvation. He said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers. Now, that's not exactly the way we greet people coming into the church, right? (laughs) You brood of vipers. But maybe there's something to it. You know, because um, in Romans chapter 3, Paul speaks of us as snakes. That the poison of asps or vipers is under our lips. That we say things that literally can kill people. We say things that destroy reputations. This is how we speak at times. Even the best among us. We do it. So maybe there's more truth there. Maybe it's not so much exaggeration. I mean, from God's perspective. So he says, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Meaning, vipers don't deserve salvation. People who murder others don't deserve salvation. And yet it comes to us. Well, um, I don't have to tell you, but I will, that people today, including perhaps some of us, have a problem with the wrath of God. And that's point number one, uh, the wrath to come. John preaches that, verse 7. It's not a popular topic. Uh, if you listen to Joel Osteen on the television, and, and please don't, but, but if, you, if you do, uh, he says nothing about the wrath of God. He's, he, he, he doesn't preach the law, the, the righteous commands of God, and the consequences of disobedience. He, he stays away from it totally and completely. God's wrath offends people today. Uh, people ask, why, why should God be wrathful? And, of course, a Christian would respond, well, that, that is um, one way God responds to evil and suffering. Now, on the one hand, we complain, why would God allow evil and suffering? We assume he's not doing anything about it. And then, when God does something about it, by warning us of the wrath to come, then we say, whoa, hold on a minute. You know, how can a good God do such a thing? The truth is, we don't know what we want, and we refuse to be satisfied with whatever God does. That's because evil resides in all of us, according to Scripture. It's not something out there. It's something in here, in each and every one of us. And God's wrath is his holy and righteous response to evil. If God ignored evil, he would not be good. But above all, we know that God is love. And he loves us in the person of his son. He does not want any one of us to perish. So when God comes to us, he comes to us in such a way so as to separate us from the sin within us. We call that repentance. And God creates repentance in us through the preaching of the wrath to come, through the preaching of the law, the demands of God, and the consequences of disobedience. So, point A, the wrath to come, it's necessary and just to proclaim that. And point B, 
it strikes none but the unfruitful, slash the unbelieving, because they're one and the same. To be unfruitful is to be unbelieving. You see, what's going on in the text is the people, they believe the preaching of John. And so there's a response. Uh, they're, they're repenting of their sins. They're confessing their sins in the Jordan River. And, and they're saying, okay, now what should we do? What does God expect? They're eager to do the will of God, you see, because they believe the message John proclaims. See, faith leads to good works. The one leads to the other. It's not the other way around. It's not the good works lead to faith. Faith leads to good works. So Roman numeral two, what should we do then? In other words, how do we become fruitful? How do we produce fruit? Well, first of all, let's take a look at how we don't produce fruit. And that's point A. Uh, you may have seen this bumper sticker. It's awful, but uh, it's I, I've put a strike through it. Jesus is coming soon. Look busy. Okay, now that's not good theology. It's a popular misconception of Christianity. And as our catechism rightly rightly says under this question, what is Christianity? It is the life and salvation God has given us through Jesus Christ. It's not a list of things to do. It's gift. And that gift isn't just anything. It's salvation. Not just through anybody, but through Christ himself. And point B, we prepare for his coming. And this is the key thing. We prepare for his coming by receiving his word. Believing it. Taking it in. I like... uh, the story of Mary and Martha in Luke chapter 10, where they welcome Jesus into their home. And Martha is busy doing good deeds. She's preparing the meal. But you know, uh, if, if, if you believe that service to Jesus is primarily doing good deeds, then you're going to end up like Martha. You see, she turns a jaundiced eye toward Jesus and toward Mary, because Mary's doing nothing, sitting at the feet of Jesus, receiving his word, And Martha kind of righteously says, Lord, tell my sister to get to work and help me. You see, if you believe that Christianity is about what you're doing for God, you're going to cast a very jaundiced, critical eye toward everyone around you who's not doing what you're doing. It turns you into a judgmental Pharisee, if that's your view of Christianity. We believe, according to Scripture, that Christianity is all about receiving what Jesus has to give you. The best way to welcome Jesus into your home is to receive what he has to give you. And that's his word. And so point one, B1, John preached, this is a word event now, right? The word is coming. John preached baptism. He preached baptism. And that equals repentance. That equals the forgiveness of sins. To, be bab- to receive John's baptism is to repent. You repent by being baptized. This is mirrored in, in later on in Christian baptism um, in Acts 2, where Peter tells his hearers, repent and be baptized. You see, 
to be baptism or to to be baptized is to repent. That is the act of repentance. And, and forgiveness is the gift. You do this for the forgiveness of you receive it. It's being done to you, and you're receiving it for the forgiveness of sins. And I, I, I like I cite Luke seven twenty nine and thirty, a very telling passage. And it reads like this. All the people, even the tax collectors, acknowledged that God's way was right because they had been baptized by John. They received the message and the baptism of John. They acknowledged God was right about themselves, their sinfulness and their need of forgiveness. But the Pharisees and experts in the law rejected God's purpose for themselves because they had not been baptized by John. They're rejecting not only John and his baptism, but the message of God, the word of God itself, you see. So point two, make the tree good and its fruit will be good. It's a quote from our Lord. A good tree produces good fruit. You know, thorns and thistles produce one thing. Apple trees produce something very different. Good fruit. Now, we can't make ourselves good. And this is the importance of the gospel. God declares us good. He declares us righteous in his sight. We may not look any different than anyone else, and at times we don't act any different than anyone else. But before God, and we we live by faith in the promise of God that all who believe in Jesus Christ are justified, forgiven, and righteous in the sight of our Heavenly Father. We are attached to Jesus, the righteous one, you see. So make the tree good and its fruit will be good. God declares us to be right, to be holy, to be just in baptism. And he gives us a new nature. The old nature is still there, going its way apart from God. But there's a new life in you as a result of God's work in baptism. And that new you obeys God, believes God, seeks God, wants God. That's Christ in you. He produces the good fruit. And so point C, bloom where you're planted. Bloom where you're planted. And we have uh, people coming to Jesus and saying, well, what shall we do? Okay. And uh, point one, uh, this, this is the reality. All over the world, I'm quoting Paul, This gospel is bearing fruit. See, we don't produce the fruit ourselves, but God at work in us produces the fruit. The gospel, the message of salvation produces the fruit. Just as as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood the grace of God. I cite 1 John 4 there. We love because he first loved us. It all begins with God, not with you. Luke 6, 36, be merciful as your Father in heaven is merciful. It all begins with the Lord. He's merciful to us, and now we're equipped, we're motivated, we're empowered to be merciful to those around us. And point two, let each one remain in the same calling in which he was called. In the same calling. Remain there. You don't have to switch jobs because you're a Christian. You don't have to quit your marriage because you're a Christian. People actually 
consider doing that because I have a new life. I start over again. No, you remain in the calling in which you are called. And I, you know, that, that word calling in Latin, uh, vocatus, uh, we, we, we get our word vocation, like vocational training and that sort of thing. Luther taught that vocation, a calling from God, was not limited to priests and nuns and monks. Everyone has a calling from God. All of us do. So remain, Paul says, in the same calling in which you were called. So, are you married? Paul would say in in 1 Corinthians 7, well, don't get unmarried because you're a believer. Don't think that that's the pathway to holiness. No, no. Be a good husband. Okay? Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Are you married? Be a good wife. Wives, respect your husbands. Are you a child? Be a good child. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. You see. Remain in the calling in which you were called. The tax collectors, you know, they were a despised group. They're kind of scratching their heads wondering, well, wait a minute, do I need to give up my tax collecting? And, and John doesn't say that at all. He says, collect no more than you're authorized. Don't charge more and pocket the difference. Be honest. Be an, we need tax collectors, believe it or not. Be a good one. And the soldiers... This was a matter of debate among some early Christians. Can I be a soldier and still be a Christian? Because as a soldier, I may have to kill people. Okay? And John doesn't say, give up your profession of soldiering. No. Bloom where you're planted. Okay? Don't extort. Don't squeeze people for something that's not yours. And be content with what you're given. See, be a good soldier. And so I would sum it all up, point three, uh, quoting Mother Teresa here, do small things with great love. You know, I I was in Tanzania in May, you know, as part of a a mission team. But you don't have to go to Tanzania (laughs) to find people who who need kindness, who who need mercy, who, who need Jesus and the love of God. You don't have to go that far. You have a high calling to love those who are around you this very moment. It's a high calling to be a husband, to be a wife, to be a child, to be an employer, to be an employee, to be a citizen, to be a ruler. God's word speaks to all of these vocations, all of these different hats that we wear. My friends, everyone around you, everyone needs love. Everyone needs kindness. Everyone needs mercy. We all make mistakes. We need forgiveness. And we have it in abundance, in Christ our Savior. That's how important you are. That's the high calling you have. My friends, freely you have received, freely share what you've been given. In Jesus' name, amen. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. Amen.